The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew 28, and then as you're uh, holding your scripture there, you'll want to find Luke chapter number 22. Uh, So uh, quite often, well, almost uh, the majority of the time as we preach from this pulpit, we believe in what's called expositional preaching. And that's just a big way of saying we preach right through books of the Bible in context. And uh, looking forward to getting back to that in March, we will be uh, preaching through uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And I was talking with some folks yesterday and just saying, if uh, when you hear first and, Thess- first and Second Thessalonians, if the only thing that comes to your mind is uh, something about the rapture or Tim LaHaye book, then you don't know the book of, uh, books of First and Second Thessalonians. And so you'll want to come as we work through those books. Great, dominant themes in there of God's blessing and grace and affliction and suffering and His mercy and love and evangelism and all of these. And of course, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we'll be uh, getting back to going through a book in March. The next two weeks, we're going to finish up our study of these questions. And so today, the question that we're dealing with are, is what are the ordinances of the church? What are the ordinances of the local church? or uh, maybe uh, based on your background, maybe ordinances or sacraments. And we'll talk about that in, uh, in just a minute. So Matthew chapter number 28 and Luke 22, two passages of scripture I think will cover this from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 28, let me pick up reading in context, verse number 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Luke chapter number 22, Luke 22 and verse number 19 and 20, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking here uh, about the Lord's Supper. And he says, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse number 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten and saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and I ask for his grace and power this morning. Our Father, we come to you now and we plead Uh, that you would help us, that the Spirit of God would illuminate our minds and that we would think carefully, critically, Lord, and that we would be open and receptive to the Word of the living God today. We ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of this Word as we think today about the ordinances and sacraments of the Lord's Supper and uh, baptism. And we will give you glory and honor and praise this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Brothers and sisters, let me just begin by asking you this. Do you get excited when you walk into a church and see the uh, table set for the Lord's Supper? Now, we don't have it set today, but uh, we, we do the Lord's Supper here roughly every other month and then a few other times in the year. When you come in on a Sunday and you, you see the elements on the Lord's table, the, the bread and the juice, does that excite your heart? Do you get, do you, are, are you just excited to be here and think, man, this is a wonderful time to be in the Lord's house? Or do you maybe have fear and trepidation, like I'm unworthy to take it? And, or worse yet, do you have kind of like, well, this is going to be a long day today. Make sure you got the trident and you got, uh, you know, goldfish for the kids because we're going to be here a long time today. How do you view it when you come to the church and the Lord's table is set? Better yet, let me ask this question to you. If I said that this evening, or well, we have things going on tonight, let's say I said this coming Thursday night, we're going to meet as a church, and we have somebody who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want to meet as a local body, a local assembly of God's called out believers, and we are going to baptize a, a brother or a sister who has come to faith in Christ. Would you leave here today skipping and praising God? Maybe you're unable to skip. Maybe would you re rejoice? Would you clean? everything on your calendar to come this Thursday night to be a part of a baptism of somebody that came to faith in Christ. I want you to let that sit with you for a moment. You see, one of the, one of the problems that we have in our Baptist churches, and I would say almost every denomination, is that uh, we fail to see how critical and vital the Lord's Supper and baptism is to the gathering of the local church. And in fact, if you don't take anything else away today, the main idea of these two texts and the main idea of this message is simply this, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are vital to our church and to our life. They're vital to the life of our corporate church together, and they're vital to your individual believing life. God wants you, yes, you as a believer, to participate in the Lord's Supper, and He wants you to participate in the baptism of those who are coming to faith in Christ. Let me give you a brief little definition today. So, baptism and the Lord's Supper are visible signs and seals. They are ordinances and sacraments that we are bound together as a community of faith by His death and His resurrection. By our use of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. Now that's a, that's a mouthful of a definition. So let me back up for a moment and say that baptism, that is when we take a believer and we put them under the water and raise them up in newness of life, and when we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, they are signs and seals. That is, that they depict for us the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection insofar that we put somebody into death and raise them out of the water insofar as we take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus into us. So they are a sign of the gospel. Gospel, but even more than that, they are a seal of the gospel that as a called out assembly of God's people, we take the Lord's Supper and we baptize brothers and sisters as a mark of distinction between us and the rest of the world. This is what holds us together as a community, that it is a visible sign and a seal to show that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Not only that, but these big words today, ordinances and sacraments. As I said, Pastor Steve, and what, what's the difference between that? So when we use the word ordinance, what we really are trying to get at, the heart or the connotation behind the word ordinance is simply that it is a command from Jesus to the church. Okay? So when I say we're going we're gonna to do the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these are two passages of Scripture today, Matthew 28 and Luke 22, where Jesus just kind of comes outright and says to the church, this is what I want you to do. Part of what it means to be a church is that you proclaim the good news, you preach the word, you're singing together, but in the Lord's house, you are taking the Lord's Supper and you are baptizing converts as they come to faith in Christ. So this is a command. It is an ordinance. We don't have any other choice and it can't be done outside of the community of God's elect believers. Uh, now if, you, if you're out camping somewhere and uh, you ha you're, you ha you're making uh, s'mores and you have the, the chocolate and the marshmallows and the graham crackers and you have some milk, you can't do a makeshift Lord's Supper with s'mores and whole milk, okay? That may sound good. You're not giving your children the Lord's Supper by giving them goldfish and Sprite. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance, a command given to the local church to be taken place in the local church. Now, are there, are there times, there are, all, there are always little caveats and things to think about, like, for instance, our brothers and sisters that are overseas uh, in the military, uh, and they have chaplains and that sort of thing. There are times where maybe a brother or sister will come to faith in Christ. They need, be, need to be baptized. But even at that, they're being baptized by a chaplain who is being sent out under the authority of a local church. Same way with baptism. You can't just baptize, you know, Uncle Johnny in the river somewhere. You, you, you don't get that privilege. It's been given as an ordinance to the church to be done under the authority of the local church. So it's an ordinance. It's a command. What do we mean when we say it's a sacrament? Well, sacrament just simply gets at it at a little different facet. Like you turn the diamond and it shines in a little bit different place. And that is when we say the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper, what we're talking about is the real presence of Jesus Christ here with us. So we are not a Catholic church. We do not believe, here's a big word for you, we do not believe and hold to what's called transubstantiation. Okay, We do not believe that when you eat the bread that that actually becomes the physical body of Jesus, nor when you drink the juice that that becomes the physical blood of Jesus Christ. We do not believe that. What we do believe, however, is that it's more than just a mere symbol or sign. What we believe the scripture would teach is that in a very real, spiritual way, Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God is with us in this room when we baptize somebody that comes to faith in Christ and when we put the bread and the juice in our mouth, that Jesus is with us. That He's here. And that His Spirit is ministering to us a greater growth in our relationship with Him. And so sacrament kind of gets at that a little bit. Ordinance is, hey, we have to obey this because this is what Jesus said. Sacrament is, man, this is a beautiful, wonderful thing.
And you know, oh man, I wish I had a long time to teach this one. Listen, when you come here on a Sunday morning and the Lord's table is set, I know sometimes it's the little crackers and the Welch's grape juice and the cracker kind of gets in your mouth and you've got just enough to try. You're hoping that you can get it down, right? If you think that, try giving the Lord's Supper as the pastor. I'm trying to go, you know, I'm trying to get it down so I can speak. But this is what I want you to think about. What that represents physically when you come here to take the Lord's Supper, you are sitting in front of the greatest feast that has ever been given. You think about the most wonderful, beautiful meal you've ever been a part of and multiply that by infinity. And what you see on the table is representing the greatest meal in all the world and that is the death and the resurrection and the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Obviously, he's speaking hyperbole here. And he's saying, hey, listen, when you take the elements, you're taking me. I want you to take those elements and I want, just like those elements are digested and become a part of your body, so Jesus becomes a part of us. We yield our lives to Him. Ordinance and sacrament. All right? Let's look at these two just quickly this morning. First of all, let's speak from baptism. Go back to Matthew chapter number 28. And look what he says here. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. So we're to go into all the world, all the nations, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to baptize them and then we're to teach them all things that he said concerning himself. Brothers and sisters, you should understand today that baptism finds itself right in the heart of discipleship. In fact, I could have just, I could have maybe given a title to the sermon today and said the uh, discipleship value of the ordinances. I want you to understand that when we baptize somebody, we are baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are three things, uh, there are more than three things, but three things mainly to understand about baptism and how vital it is to our discipleship as believers. First of all, baptism uh, gives us union with Christ. It depicts when we put somebody under the water and we raise them back up, what we are saying is this person has come to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice here that it says baptize in the name. It is a relationship in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You can jot these verses down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 13 and 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 2 speak about the baptism in the name of Paul and the Old Testament baptism, baptism in the name of Moses. The concept here is that it is relational, that it is union with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 through 6 and 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 13. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 through 28. And Colossians 2 verse 11 and 12 teach us that baptism is a sign and a seal that we have been identified and unified and brought into union with Jesus Christ. 
Not only have we brought in being brought into union specifically with Jesus Christ, we have been from this passage brought into union with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the great Trinity that comes to us as one God in three persons. We are baptized into the Trinitarian presence of God. When we put somebody under the water, we are saying that this person has unified himself with Jesus and that he is under the decree of the Father and he is indwelt by the Spirit of God and that brings all of us together in God and in Christ. That's the power of baptism, brothers. You see, the reason why we show up to support and we clap and we cheer and we love and we praise God and we are enjoying when people are baptized is not just that somebody has been added to our church, but it is that somebody has been brought into union with Jesus Christ. Do you want to know something? The very beginning of your evangelistic life is showing up to a baptism. When you come to a baptism, you are declaring that Jesus saves people. And there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to faith in Christ. Surely there ought to be rejoicing among God's people when somebody comes to faith in Christ. Amen? Baptism is union with Christ. Secondly, baptism depicts our cleansing from sin. Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11. It depicts the cleansing nature of baptism. These verses speak about the washing of regeneration. The, the, The typical symbol in Scripture of water is the washing away, the cleansing of our sin. When somebody goes under our baptismal waters, it is not the literal water that is washing away sin. It may wash away mascara, it may wash away eyeliner, but it's not washing away sin. But oh, what it depicts is that when we are unified with Jesus, we have been put down into the grave. We have been been brought up with new life and our old life and our old sins and our old ways have been washed away never to be brought up again. Amen. Our sins have been as far as the east is from the west. Jesus has conquered over our sin and our death and our hell. And we have been washed by him. We have been washed by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Baptism should, your baptism should remind you that you are to live a clean life before the Lord because he cleaned you through his own blood. Baptism, thirdly, is transformation by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5 and Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 33. In fact, this is important because the New Testament teaches that it is Christ who baptizes us with the Spirit of God. In fact, baptism and the Spirit of God go hand in hand in multiple texts throughout the New Testament. And so whereas baptism depicts and shows us that we have been put into union with Christ... Baptism depicts and shows that we have been washed and cleansed of our sin. So baptism identifies us with the ongoing work of the Spirit of God who is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is always at work in us. And when we bring somebody up out of the baptismal water, they do not come up alone. Do you understand that? 
They come up in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it is the Spirit of Christ who indwells their life and lives with them daily, constantly applying the baptism and the salvation of Jesus Christ to our hearts. The Spirit of God is the one who reminds us day in and day out that we were lost and Jesus died and rose again and we have believed and we are new creations in Him. Baptism is vital to your life, to my life, and to our church. It's been commanded, and it's beautiful. Amen? Let me give you quickly the Lord's Supper. There are several ways of referring to this, the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we say that we're taking communion here. That's a great way to refer to it as well, too, that we are communing with God and with each other in Christ Jesus, right? We are coming together to, to love and to hold together in unity. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful way to say that. In fact, it might be the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This is this, is this meal that we are taking together. Um, some, some denominations will refer to this as the Eucharist, and that's perfectly acceptable as well, too. It's a biblical word. It is thankfulness. It is joy. It is gratitude that we are coming together as the body of Christ to say thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us communion and the Lord's Supper together. In this church, we refer quite often to the Lord's Supper or communion. Let me give you a, a few thoughts here today. Look over at uh, chapter number Luke 22 again. And uh, verse number 19 and 20, let me read those again. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Brothers and sisters, let me give you, uh, let me give you maybe four or five um, quick words just to jot down, and you can maybe think or meditate on these in the future. But these words, if you'll remember these words, then it will help you get at uh, the Lord's Supper, why we take it, what does it mean, uh, you know, kind of the value of the Lord's Supper. Before I do that, let me see where I am with that one. Yeah, let me just take a couple minutes. <laughs> I put a few weeks ago, I uh, put up on my Facebook, I, was, I just wanted to see where people were. And I said, um, when you think of discipleship and you think about the means of grace, and that's just a, that's a pastor's way of saying, what tools do you do, use to grow in your Christian life? Let's use that. What tools do you use to grow in your Christian life? Go, right? Prayer, amen? Prayer, how to grow in prayer. The Word of God, we should read the Word of God. Uh, we should fast, which is actually feasting upon God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Solitude and silence and evangelism and service, all of these things are a part of discipleship, tools for growth in grace. Amen? Did you know that for probably 16 to 1800 years, there were three streams of grace in the local church. Three means of grace, three tools for Christian growth that were above and recognized above all the others. We use them all. They're all influenced and have the overtures of God's grace. We don't earn anything. We simply use these as a tool for discipleship. And yet, 
For 16 to 1800 years, the three most important discipleship tools of the church and individual Christian lives was the reading of Scripture, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. And you never thought about that third one, did you? We've lost that. Let me ask you, in the last year, have you really put time into thinking, oh man, I, mu- I got to find- call the church office and find out when we take the Lord's Supper. What Sunday is that? Because taking the Lord's Supper is absolutely critical and vital to my growth in the Christian life. I just want you, I want you to ask yourself, why don't we think like that? I think partly because we've become so familiar and we've said stuff like, it's a symbol. Uh, we've been so quick to push back, and rightfully so, against other, you know, uh, other organizations or beliefs that would say something errant and wrong in its theology and make the Lord's Supper more than what it actually is. But we end up using words like, it's merely a symbol. And if the Lord's Supper is merely a symbol and merely a sign, then it's optional for you. And it really doesn't hold all that value. But if you'll understand in your heart that every time you come in here and the Lord's table in our local assembly, I've taken the Lord's Supper. (laughs) Brother, I've been in Moldova before where I've been in a little one-room shack in the middle of nowhere with a church of believers of maybe six or seven people and you take the Lord's Supper and sometimes sometimes there they have one chalice. Everybody drinks from the same cup and and all my Purell people are eyes that big right now, Right? Wherever you are in the world, when you see the Lord's table, Jesus is present. When you come in here and you see the elements down here, you should come in here with a holy awe, understanding that the real presence of Jesus Christ and His Spirit and the Father who is watching on, they are with us here. And that ought to have a weight on your soul. I was reading that line of the song. Now I forgot exactly how it said, but the weight of God's glory. Did you all read that in the song? The weight of His glory. Jamie said that He breaks the the chains of our sin. When you see the Lord's table down here, you should understand the weight of God's glory and grace poured out on Calvary's cross breaks the sin chains in our life. Amen? I want you to think about that. This year, part of your discipleship is to take the Lord's Supper with the community of believers. Let me say a few quick words about it. You might want to write this word down, commemorate, commemorate. The Lord's Supper helps us commemorate. Jot these verses down, Exodus 12, verse 11 through 14, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. By the way, if any of you need this, I can email it to you later. I know I'm kind of running through these scriptures rather quickly. Exodus 12, 11 through 14, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The key word in that passage is Passover. The Lord's Supper is to remind us of the Exodus when God's people came out called the Passover from Egypt and God had said, I want you to take an innocent sacrifice. I want you to take its life and I want you to put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And this night when the angel of judgment comes through, he will pass over you when he sees the blood. And 1 Corinthians, Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb. And when his 
His blood is applied to the doorpost and the lintel of your life, when the judgment angel comes in the end of days, He will pass over you for the judgment that belongs on your life has been poured out on the cross of Calvary and you are free indeed by the grace and mercy of the Passover Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we take the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood, we commemorate the passing over of judgment that has been placed on Christ and removed from our soul. Amen? Man, I'll tell you what, even though you're Baptist, that ought to give you a holy grunt somewhere. Man, every time you put that bread and you take that juice, you remember that the right judgment of God for your sin, the hell and all of the torture and torment that belong rightly on your soul has been composited and dumped upon the life of Jesus on the cross so that you might live eternally. Amen. You commemorate that. Let me give you a second word. Participate. The Lord's Supper requires us to participate. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 16. John chapter number 6 and verse number 56. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. John 6, 56. And the key word here is, I would say, maybe something like sanctification or Christian growth. When we take the Lord's Supper, and I kind of already uh, alluded to that, it's a part of our discipleship that we find ourselves in community with God's people, that we find ourselves under and subjected to the power and the grace of the Scripture, that we are reminded of the real presence of Jesus, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are at work in a unique way when we come to take the Lord's Supper. He's reminding us of the gospel and he is applying it in our life in a very real sense. When we come to the table, we preach the gospel again to ourselves that I don't earn my salvation, that it's been given to me, but far more than that, when I leave here today, that this crucified and risen Savior has poured His grace into me and my sin is gone and my life now is to be lived in gratitude toward Jesus and it ought to influence every little tributary of your life, everything in your mind and every relationship. When you come to the Lord's table, it should remind you that Jesus has the preeminence in your life, in your family, in your work, in your retirement. Jesus is king. Participate in it. Number three, the word meditate. Meditate. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 28. The Bible speaks about examining yourself to see if you are worthy to take the Lord's Supper. The word examine or to meditate, to think deeply. Listen to these words from the Westminster Confession. With all holy... Listen, I know it's a little old school, but just listen. You'll like this. This is good for our soul, all right? This, this, um, this isn't bonbons, but it's a T-bone, so just eat it. Listen. With all holy reverence and attention, we should wait upon God in that ordinance, diligently observe the sacramental elements and actions, heedfully discern the Lord's body, and affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings and thereby stir up yourselves to a vigorous exercise of their grace. 
And you might be thinking, man, that's a mouthful. I, I, I only got like one part of it. Why don't you just get it and work at it and think through it all week? When you come to take the Lord's table together, there ought to be a sense of meditation and examination and weightiness to this room. You ought to be looking introspectively at your own heart and your sins and your failures. You ought to look up to God and see how glorious and holy He is. You ought to look somewhere in the middle and see the great chasm that is between your sin and the holy God. And then you ought to look to the cross and see that Jesus has made all the difference paying for our sin by His blood. Oh, D.L. and Susie. You remember them, Connie? First church, uh, first church we pastored. D.L. and Susie. A little small church in the back canyon out there off, uh, what was that, uh, Signal Mountain Road, I think it was, in Chattanooga. Man, I preach and preach and preach and preach, and D.L. would never take the Lord's Supper. And he was a godly guy. He was one of our best deacons that loved Jesus. And I asked him, and he would always tell me, Pastor Steve, somebody preached here one time, and he just preached so hard, and I, I'm just unworthy. I, I've read that verse. It says, we'll see if you're worthy, and I'm unworthy, and I can never take the Lord's Supper. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I can't do it no matter how well I live. I'm unworthy. I'll never take the Lord's Supper. Now, how do you counsel a guy like that when you're 24? I don't know. You scratch your head and call somebody. Well, here's the answer. At the end of the day, you say, D.L., you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And the reason why you should take the Lord's Supper is because you will never be worthy. But Jesus is. And Jesus died in your place to wash your sins away. So it's a both and here. You ought to meditate deeply on your sins, you ought to examine your own life and say, Lord, if there's anything between, <laughs> nothing, but you, you know, y'all know that old song, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. Y'all ever heard of that? You ought to ask yourself, is there anything between my soul and the Savior? If there is, cast it back to Calvary. Apologize for it, make it right. But go to the cross and realize that Jesus Christ died for you in your unworthy state, and you have been made worthy by His grace. Meditate on that. A couple more. We'll, we'll close her down. Look here. Um, maybe just one more. Look, here's another word I would use. Vindicate. Vindicate. 1 Corinthians 11.24 and Matthew 26.28 you say, what do I mean? Why, why should I think about vindication at the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper itself preaches the substitutionary atonement. I know. Don't check out on me. I'll explain that in a second, okay? The substitutionary atonement. And it proclaims both the Lord's sacrificial death in our behalf and His final return to judgment. I simply mean this. I want to hedge this real carefully. There are some people, who, some preachers, who are hirelings. They, they're, they're not right. And they're, they're adjusting the truth of Scripture. And they would have you know, they would tell you that when Jesus died, He just died as an example. 
um, that Jesus died. It was a great human act of sacrificial love. It is a great act of sacrificial love. But what I want you to understand is when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die as your example. And He didn't just die because He loves you. He died as a substitute. You belong on the cross dying for your sin. And Christ died in your place. You see, the Lord's Supper is an apologetic for that kind of teaching of Scripture. Because the Lord's Supper in Scripture says that He did this for us. And when you take this cup, it is the cup of the forgiveness of your sins. Now why on earth would the Lord institute a sign and a seal that genuinely marks out substitution, the broken body and the blood of Jesus on your behalf if all Jesus did was give you an example to live by. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, you are confessing the vindication of the truth that when Jesus died, it was not only example, it was not only love, it was for you. You belong on the cross. I belong on the cross. Jesus did it for us. Amen? Uh, One last one. Anticipate. Anticipate. Jesus said, or first Paul said, uh, in so much as you do this, you do this till I come. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. So Jesus died and rose again. And when we take the Lord's table we are implicitly saying our Savior is coming. Our Savior is coming. Anticipation. I don't know how many people that I talk to and they're all about, you know, end time events and this and that. I got to be careful. I'm not going to say anything unless anybody believes all that kind of stuff out there. But always looking for a sign or something about when Jesus is coming again. But on the Lord's table day, they don't show up. Don't tell me that you want Jesus to come back and you don't take the Lord's Supper. When you participate, you show that you want Him to come. Tell you this, we'll be finished for today. I've got to walk into some, some other things. Let me just tell you this. I often do funerals where they do military honors. If you've been to a funeral that's done military honors, would you raise your hand? Okay, so some of you will get this. The officers walk down at the end and they unfold the flag and they fold it back and then they present that to the next of kin. Uh, depending on how much you've done, sometimes they, uh, they uh, fire off uh, guns in the background with blanks. Jamie and I were, were at a funeral one time. We never saw the uh, guys with the guns behind us at the graveyard. And so we did the whole service and then they started cracking off rounds. Man, we were, I was scared to death. You go to a funeral and see that. Let me tell you what happens. When they come down the aisle, it's instantly incredibly silent. Nobody says a word. In fact, it's so silent you can hear the squeaking of their military shoes. They're dressed differently than everybody in the room. They have a whole bunch of stuff up here that I don't know what means anything there. They have salutes and things. They grab that flag. One guy's going like this and this. They unfold it a certain way. They have an incredible amount of 
ceremonial ordinance, sacraments. They have things that mark them as different. And everybody in the room instantly knows we are civilians and they are military. Most of them, they're not arrogant about it. They don't flaunt it. It's not there to be mean. But instantly in the room, you know, I'm not military. They are. The Lord's Supper and baptism are given to the church by Jesus Christ. Not for our arrogance, not for us to be mean, but as lines of demarcation between us and the world to say, you see this practice of the Lord's table? You see these people going down in the water? This is Christ's church. And you're not a part of it. It's okay. It's okay for there to be that line of demarcation. And we step over to those people with the gospel of Jesus and say, Christ wants you to be a part of His bride. Christ wants you to be able to take the Lord's Supper. Christ wants you to be baptized in the waters of baptism. But you're not in the family of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. These ordinances and sacraments say to everybody in the world, we are God's people and Christ's bride. This is who we are. That's why it's important that we participate. Amen? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.